In this episode of the Sheridan's Backpage podcast, I'm delighted to be joined by Nick Robinson from ISC, also the founder of the Defy Foundation, alongside two fantastic elite sports athletes, Zoe Smith, who is one of Britain's top weightlifters, and rugby star Freddie Burns. I really hope you enjoy this episode. Thanks for joining um, on the latest uh, Sheridan's um, podcast. Um, I'm absolutely delighted to have um, a stellar lineup of guests for today's chat. Um, We've got a really good friend and uh, client of Sheridan's, Nick Robinson from um, ISC with us, um, along with some um, sporting royalty in Freddie Burns and uh, Zoe Smith as well. So guys, thanks very much for, for joining. And this is a special one to some degree also because um, Nick and I have spent some time trying to think about how to um, promote in a positive way all the great stuff that you've been doing alongside your agency and commercial business for um, your foundation and Defy. And I see you've obviously got the cap on. You live in the brand, which is uh, yeah, which is winning. Great, <laughs> correct. Um, and it was really just to have you know a half an hour chat with the three of you about um, Defy, where it's come from the sort of ambassadorial roles that you, you're you playing and just to hear what it's like being an elite sports person is the truth. I'm really <laughs> fascinated. I chatted with Zoe a little bit, which is great a while back, but just to have a bit more insight. So Nick, over to you if that's all right, which is, you know, where did Defy come from? Um, how long has it been in the pipeline and um, and how's it all going? Yeah, sure. Um, well, thanks, thanks for having us on, Daniel. I appreciate that. Um, but uh, Defy... The idea of Defy started um, about 18 months ago when uh, my wife and I, it was Christmas time, particularly emotional time of the, of the year. Um, and we actually, we struggled to find somewhere where we could really have an impact, um, partly, you know, because we weren't registered and we, you know, we, we hadn't kind of done a lot of the steps to, to try and uh, be involved with something. And... Um, it was around that time we decided perhaps, you know, we could create our own foundation, um, our own charity. Um, and, you know, we thought about it. We had, um, A, the desire to do something for those that really need it. Um, and B, um, we had the, the tools in a sense. Um, we have many of the things that actually a lot of charities struggle for, which is we had a great you know, roster of clients that were um, at the top of their game in their in whatever field or sport that they they partake in. And, um, you know, through our company, we also had a big commercial division, you know, very talented people that are looking at endorsements and sponsorships and, and tie-ups um, with, with brands. Um, and we thought we actually had all the tools to actually make something that could really, uh, if it got off the ground, have a bit of an impact. Um, and leave some kind of legacy um, beyond, you know, what we do every day. Um, so that was where the, the idea came from. Um, and uh, we did quite a lot of research. We spoke to some, you know, some very uh, accomplished people in that field and got quite a few ideas. And, and we, en- we ended up coming up with the idea of Defy, which um, essentially uses our... Um, our ambassadors, you know, two of which we got here, to um, engage with uh, disillusioned or disaffected kids um, who don't have access to the springboards that give others a head start in life. You know, they're, they're more privileged peers um, at that head start. But you know, having worked having worked in this now for eighteen months, you really see, a particularly, you know, our focus is around at the minute. We will expand, but at the minute, around the ages of 10 to 11, you can already see a huge difference between those kids that have got all those opportunities and, um, and have got positive role models and, and come from a, uh, you know, a solid home, etc. So we had our first uh, pilot scheme last year. We went into a school in Wembley, uh, Art Wembley, and um, we... Uh, we took over essentially their PE class um, for the Easter term 
and uh, we split the classes into two sections. Um, one was actually in the classroom, um, and we, we would talk about particular values uh, that we were going to focus on that day. So that might be uh, teamwork or dedication or, you know, even some of the early ones were just enjoyment. Um, and we would focus on uh, what that would mean in the classroom and, and what that meant in people's lives and how um, our ambassadors, our elite ambassadors, had used those particular values to get to the top of their field um, and, and to reach the success that they had and also talk about the challenges they've had to overcome on that journey. So we had a really great learning experience. And then for the second half of it, we would go out and we would do very basic um, rugby skills um, or passing drills or sprinting or, um, you know, even just tag or, or British Bulldogs or something. And we would, again, we would focus on the, the values that we'd spoken about and how those played out in the field. And then our, our plan was to do it again this Easter term um, in a different school, but unfortunately uh, COVID-19 meant that we weren't able to do that. So the aim of the, the fundraising drive is to get someone, you know, really talented and uh, driven, accomplished person who can take uh, Defy onto the next level and um, uh, hopefully um, expand into other areas as well, other schools, um, other sports. Um, and what's unique about um, this second year that we're, that we're in is we're now um, identifying certain mentors that for the most in need kids um, are actually going to work with these kids on an ongoing basis on a support basis just to check in with them once a week or you know more or less or depending how much they need that but just to actually kind of be that role that ongoing role model that ongoing mentor to help their kids make the right choices or the choices that are best for them um, and just be a kind of a support uh, or a sounding board or um, some kind of assistance for, for the, those most in need. So we really hope that actually um, beyond, you know, the high profile ambassadors, which have been absolutely amazing, some of the most in need kids will have this regular, regular help and, and really enable them to realize their full potential. I'm going to do, say two things very quickly, Fred. I can see that like, um, there's a little smirk every now and then that comes on your face. Like it almost feels like, like Fred's listening to all of the stuff that Nick's saying. So it's amazing, but I know he's not as serious as that all the time. <laughs> no, exactly, exactly. I'm like, I'm always, I was always a kid at school who's like attention. Um, and I, I'm giggling because I'm like, I catch myself on camera and I'm like, God, Fred, like, I can't sit still. I'm like a fidget. So I'm laughing almost at myself being like, keep it professional, Fred. And it's just funny. I've known Robbo for, God, 13, 14 years now. So it's like, yeah, it's just quite funny seeing ultra serious Robbo right now. But it's, um, <laughs> I actually, it's I didn't have the zoom on because I just knew that if I probably saw Fred <laughs> show his face, they would really put me off. So I just had it on like a, a blank screen. <laughs> Whereas, this is me not trying to psychoanalyze everything, Zoe was like absolutely, perfectly just listening on, waiting for a moment. I can see you like ticking over what the things I'm going to say. It's like you can see, it's, just, it's like just from my person. So I'm going to go with Zoe first, if that's all right, just to say, you know, Zoe, like I'm really, you know, we, we had a chat um, up in Loughborough a little bit ago when Nick and I were giving a, um, a talk, which was great. And it, I, I know obviously you're um, um, you know, got a great backstory generally and all of the stuff that um, has gone on, setbacks and positive stuff. Uh, when Nick talks about the mentorship, giving back, um, wanting to make change, all that type of thing, did that resonate quite a lot when Nick came to you to say, would you, would you like to get involved? Yeah, absolutely it did. Uh, it's a funny one because I just think of me as just being, like, I feel like I'm still on this journey myself uh, where I'm Basically, I, I feel like I need a mentor most of the time. But um, yeah, to be approached to sort of be in a position of mentorship was, um, yeah, it was a real honour. So uh, thank you, Nick. Um, yeah, like I say, I'm not sure I'm quite ready for it yet, but I guess it's a, it's a learning process. And um, there are lots of um, events, shall we say, that have happened in my career that I've obviously had to like learn and grow from. And if I can pass some of that on to some young kids uh, so they can they don't have to go through that themselves. They can kind of like learn through my experience. I think that's something that I'd be really passionate about um, getting involved with. 
And just say, Zoe is one of the most humble athletes I represent ever has. I, I feel like she still doesn't really believe that she's British and Commonwealth champion and record. I'm just realistic about these things. <laughs> it's, um, it's, a, it's a great attribute. But I mean, Zoe, you, um, I mean, you've obviously had to overcome some serious setbacks in your career. Um, you know, I, I was there for, for one such setback, which was <laughs> in the British Championships just prior to the, to the um, Rio 2016 Olympics. Um, I can't remember if it was a, maybe two months before or something. But, yeah, you know. I, think it was the, um, I think it was the June before Rio was supposed to happen. So I think the game started in August and the last qualif uh, qualification competition was in June, like middle of June, I think. Um, mm -hmm the British Championships, which was basically like we've, um, the British team, we've um, solidified two places, uh, one for one for men, one for women. And then it was just down to the wire on the day, like whoever lifts the most on that day can go to the Olympics basically. And that's kind of done within weight categories. So I wasn't actually competing against anyone that was really going to challenge me for my position, but um, it was like across all of the British team. Um, and I just had like not a great prep for it, I think. Um, so I was, um, I was competing in the 63 kilo division. Um, and I think maybe the night before I was still about 64 kilos. So I had to, um, uh, basically just expel loads of water, which just means like sauna dehydration, just all of the fun things that, uh, weightlifters love doing. Um, and I think about, so by about 9 PM the day before, I think I'd managed to get myself down to about 63.1 kilos. Um, perfect I can just drive up in the morning I'll weigh in and yeah it'll, it'll all be Gucci <laughs> but no I got um drug testers knocked on the door at um probably just just gone nine o'clock I think um so I had to basically put all of the water that I spent however long peeing out um like the whole like previous day um I basically had to replace all of that so I could pee into a cup for my drug test, uh, which sucked because obviously that's just, um, it, it's just going to take a long time. Like drug tests take a long time anyway. So I think this took about, I think I got to bed at 3 a.m. or something the day before. Um, but I don't think I was competing till like fairly late in the day. So it was all okay. Um, managed to get myself down to weight again. But like obviously like my recovery was just terrible. I was just not in, a, I was just not in good shape. So uh, opening lift comes <laughs> for um, uh, yeah qualification day. Um, Ninety-two kilo snatch, got it above my head, uh, stood up with it, and I've just lost it behind my head, but taken most of the important structures in my shoulder with it. Um, so yeah, I, I couldn't lift my arm above my head. It was sort of swinging around like this when I tried, um, and I had about two minutes to decide whether I was going to go out for a second attempt, and I couldn't really feel my arm, but you take the second attempt because it's the Olympics we're talking about. Like we, <laughs> we need this. So I tried again and just, um, yeah, I think I probably just made everything a hell of a lot worse for myself. Um, so yeah, that was uh, probably the biggest setback of my career. Um, no Olympics in 2016 and just a long summer of recovery in Loughborough rather than, um, rather than in Rio. So yeah, good times. <laughs> and you, you had to draw on some pretty strong mental reserves during that period, I imagine, because. Oh my God. Yes particularly as an Olympian, you know, like, let's say someone like Freddie, um, you know, you, you, you have a bad game and you've normally got another game next weekend. You guys as Olympians go in these massive cycles um, and, you know, it's all built around competition. So to, to then kind of miss that big one and have a long time before the next big competition, um, you know, I think it really takes a lot of mental reserve and... Um, and just a sort of mental ability to be able to overcome that, be, stay positive, stay focused on your career, et cetera, et cetera. Um, yeah, it was, it was a difficult time actually. Um, yeah. At first I think I was in denial for a little while about it. Um, so I had to have it operated on in the end. Um, but I think for the first month or so leading up to um, selection, I basically just tried everything just to uh, get it back in shape, um, get it in some sort of position where I could just use my shoulder, but no dice, I'm afraid. Um, and I think that's when it really hit me. But uh, I was really lucky, actually, to have a fantastic team around. Um, the medical team at British Weightlifting at the time were fantastic. Um, but also, I think it was just having like good family, good friends, and just people just to keep me mentally 
mentally well is the only way I can possibly describe it. Um, I think I'd have really struggled if it wasn't for them. Um, but yeah, there were so many big questions kind of at the time. Um, things like, well, will I be able to lift again? Do I want to lift again? Um, this was like a really traumatic thing to happen. Like, um, obviously, the injury itself was pretty, um, pretty devastating. But um, just, I think it was then that I realised how like fragile, like as athletes, our career really is. Um, so I was thinking, to, is this the like path that I want to keep taking? Have I made the right choices? Um, and then just things about like, obviously, when I did start lifting again, like the fear around that. Um, uh, whether this was like a safe option uh so yeah I had to draw on quite a lot of mental strength there um and yeah basically the, the only way I got through that was essentially like <laughs> regular therapy sessions with like friends and family just to uh just to help me out um and I do think I learned a lot about myself I learned a lot about um how to ha like how to be mentally tough really um these were things that I didn't know I had. Like I'm, I'm a bit of a wallflower as a person <laughs> in general. Um, and I, I've, I've got some fight in me, but um, it's not often that I have to really use it, I think. And this was one of the times that I really did have to have to use that fight. Um, so I do feel like I learned quite a lot from the experience. But yeah, <laughs> it was a, it was a tough time. Can I just ask one one bit there, Nick, if you don't mind? And then Zoe and then maybe leading on to Freddie as well, which is, I, you know, a, a lot of a lot of what I hear from just the, the, the players and the teams that I work with generally is um, that us men have a harder time sharing sometimes, which as a result causes more problems down the line. Whereas one of the things you just mentioned just before was that you got your sanity, you, you got that sort of therapy from sharing, from almost demonstrating, and I mean this in a positive sense, you're your vulnerability and your need to be able to tell people how you're actually feeling. I, I guess that, that that's an, in, an incredible strength to be able to, to have at what must have been a really difficult time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that is one thing that I do think is important, just sharing and talking about these things. So like with a lot of mental health stuff, because this is what it kind of boiled down to. I think it would have, if I hadn't spoken to it, it probably manifested as sort of like like a deep depression really um so the ability to share that with like, like having friends and family that I felt that felt comfortable enough to share that with was really important obviously um but yeah it is um I think you are right I think it is actually easier for women because we are encouraged to talk about these things and mental health issues in men do arise a lot more as a result of um like toxic masculinity in a sense that um it's it, it viewed as a feminine trait to like share your problems and to like burden others with your issues um and i think that that is something that i'm actually really passionate about um just making sure like in my immediate friendship circle and and professional circle too just making sure everyone feels comfortable enough that they can share and that we can talk about these things um that yeah that's something that i think is really like undervalued in society in general i think obviously there's been a bit of a movement around it recently but i think there's still a ways to go and that's something that i would um I, I would like to help um, kick on, really. I definitely want to come back to that in in, in a second, but um, it'd be good just to talk to you, Fred, a, a little bit about um, an instance when you've had to really draw on some mental resolve like that, and um, you know, because I think that you know this is what Defy is all about, really, is helping those people that don't have that support circle, that don't have that um, the mental skills to be able to overcome that, and trying are best to fill in the, those gaps a little bit. Um, now, Fred, I mean, you know, one thing I you know, absolutely loved about, you know, representing you for your whole career is just how open and honest you are. Um, and, you know, there's, there's been a, you know, a sort of a bit of a talk about the drop against Toulouse as a, you know, a tough moment for you to have to come back from. Um, but actually, an interesting one that doesn't really get much airtime is... Um, I think it was against a European game against Mont de Marsan in 2013. Um, and, you know, you were, you were absolutely flying at Gloucester. You were in the England squad, I think it must have been a week or two weeks before the first England-Scotland game in the Six Nations, set to start a fly half. You suffered an injury in that game and missed the whole Six Nations. And, 
And I think that was the Six Nations that sort of Ford and Farrell really kicked on and cemented themselves as the as um, two of the favoured tens uh, or ten twelve combination for England. Um, how, how how was it to to overcome from that injury that you know was a sort of a a real sliding doors moment in terms of your England career? Um, yeah, it's it's always. It's always tough. And back then, I was like, say, I must have been 22, 23. And only a few months before I made my England debut against the All Blacks. So I was like flying. Like I've never been in a better place. And suddenly like that, boom, it's a punch in the face. It's uh, like, you know, your whole world kind of falls apart. You're, you're led on the floor. And I knew the minute the injury happened, there, it was, like, I knew it wasn't devastatingly bad, but I knew it was going to be a two, three month injury, which is the exact same period of the Six Nations. So I was like, you know, I was broken, but then at the same time, I've always been quite good at, at parking it up and just, you know, my next goal then was, right, I am going to get back fit before the start of the Six Nations. And I actually managed to get on the bench for England against Italy in the last game. Unfortunately, didn't get on. But for me, I just tried to control what I could control, which was then like how I ate, how I recovered, my rehab. Like I kind of tried to take as much control of that as possible. Um, and it's one thing as well that, I, you know, it's why it's great to have someone like Zoe on board and, and hear about the way she talks because, look, weightlifting, you're, you're on your own. Like, you know, when I got that injury and I'm in the sheds, I get 23 players come up to me, wish me well, give me a cuddle. I get coaches checking on me. I get messages as well as having a great support network for my family. Whereas the stuff that Zoe's been through, you're probably in there. You've probably got your coach there, but you've got one person. And then, it's just you and your thoughts. You're on your own. And I've always had so much like admiration for those Olympic sports and, you know, those, those one, not one off sports, but Zoe will work behind closed doors for years to get one moment in the spotlight that has to be taken. And, you know, you, something like what happened, unfortunately happened to Zoe happens to bounce back from that mentally is so tough. So I always feel very fortunate enough to be in a team environment where, you know, you pick each other up, you know, you take a little bit of, you know, you take a little bit of stick, a little bit of banter, but you soon have your mind taken off of it. So, you know, you bounce back individually. Of course, you have your demons when you're on your own. But for me, it's a lot easier because I have a team and a, and a support network around me, which is where I think the foundation is great because, you know, the, the, the people that we'll be working with on the whole, a lot of it come, a lot of them come from, you know, broken homes and, you know, just, you know, slightly dysfunctional families and, and stuff like that. So if we can be that support network for these kids coming through, hopefully, like Robbo said, we can steer them on a path of, look, you can still achieve, even though you've had setbacks and not had to start rather than actually, I'm just going to throw the towel in and become, you know, the worst version of myself. So, you know, I think we, we've got a great group in the, in the foundation that can, that can, bounce off each other and, and talk about experiences because I'll be honest with you, I hear Zoe talking and my experience of me getting injured two weeks before I was meant to play for England sounds like nothing compared to us. So it's like, I don't really see much of a comparison. Can I, can I just ask one point um, from both Fred and Zoe's perspective? And this is from my perspective as a very, very amateur footballer, cricketer and tennis player. But I haven't been able to do anything that relatively that well at all. But when you're recovering from injuries you both have had and have had those setbacks, when you have those particular days when maybe motivation is not lacking, but you just don't feel you can get there or you don't want to or otherwise, is it a mindset of positivity like, no, I need to do this because I feel I'm in a good place because I know that I can achieve? Or does, or does the motivation sometimes come from a negative space like, I'm angry, I'm pissed off, and that's the reason why I'm going to keep going and, and doing in order to achieve. Or is it like a combination of that? Or is it actually none of that whatsoever is to like, your, you know, what, what actually gets you to get to that gym or gets you to that rehab place again? I think for me, it was a bit of a combination of both. So I do remember just feeling completely cheated out of everything I've worked for for four years. Um, so in a sense, yeah, I was, I was pissed off. Like, this just felt completely unfair and yeah that was that there were obviously like when you're recovering there are always gonna be hard days um 
And those, there were negative thoughts a lot of the time, but like you say, sometimes those negative thoughts were kind of the kick up the arse that I needed to get myself back to the gym. Um, but yeah, other times, like it was, it kind of depended. I think it, like these things come in peaks and troughs really anyway, don't they? Um, so there'd be other days where I did feel really positive about it. Like I'd made some good progress. Um, and then there'd come a day where I just kind of didn't really feel like going to the gym, but I was like, oh no, but your progress is going so well. Like you just let's just keep at it and just see where it goes. Let's not like um, take our feet off the gas now because we're making some headway with this and it could, it, it might not be the end of the world. <laughs> so um, yeah, it was like a combination of the two things, but um, there were also like times where I was unmotivated and I just didn't even feel particularly motivated to do anything about it. Um, and those are the more challenging times where I just kind of thought, yeah, it's going well. Like I'm, I'm getting better, but realistically, like the Olympics is four years away and I just don't care right now. Um, but I think it's important to be kind to yourself at those times as well. Um, you like, no one can be a hundred percent like on their game a hundred percent of the time. So I think it was just, I did have to listen to myself and it's, I think I've been competing now for about, it must be about 13 years, maybe more. Oh God. Um, and I think, like people talk about listening to your body but I think you kind of need to listen to your head as well a little bit um there are times when you're not feeling motivated but you have to push on and then there are times where you're not feeling motivated but you just kind of need to give yourself a little bit of a break as well like just sometimes just if you're supposed to train five times a week maybe just show up twice um and just yeah just kind of listen to what your head needs a little bit and I think that was one of the things that I actually I I did find it difficult to do um like this was four years ago now but uh retrospectively I did think yeah I do think I found that quite difficult um and there were days where I just beat myself up about it um but I think it's it was a bit of a learning curve um and I think I'm sort of a bit more kind of self-aware for it really um so now I know if I'm just being lazy and if I just need to give myself a bit of a kick up the ass or if it's maybe like a symptom of something not I don't want to say worse but if I'm feeling like maybe just a little bit depressed or uh, things like that obviously over lockdown things have been a bit like that so um yeah it's it's been an interesting process of personal growth really I think that's the thing as well you always you never get it right like you always you know it's always going to change and now one thing I learned from my injury before that England game was the minute I got back fit I was like I have to be at the standard that I was before immediately. And I'd go and I was trying to run before I could walk again. It was like, Jesus, just give yourself a break. You know, there's a great, um, a great strength and conditioning coach at Bath uh, called Matt Pickard. And, and I actually wasn't injured at Bath long-term to do it, but he had a thing with the long-term injured group because that was, he was the rehab conditioner and players had, had, they, they had three, they had three lives. Right, so if they rocked up one day into the gym and they just weren't feeling it, they could turn around to Matty and say, "Look, like I'm not, I'm not feeling it today," and he'd be like, "No worries, like you can, like that's fine." But you knew that. So if you were injured for six months, you knew you had three days if you weren't feeling it. So those days you'd get in, you'd go like, "Oh, you know what? I'm not really feeling that motivated, but you know, I think I can get, like, I feel I can get through it. You can get through it. But if you hit that brick wall, you could just go in there and say, Matty, I don't feel it, mate," and he'd be like, "No worries, mate, get going." But once you had your three, and I think that's one of the main things as well, is we all have bad days, we all make mistakes, we all f*** up, right? but it's making sure that they don't happen over and over and over again. Injuries you can't control, that comes and goes. But like for me, when I dropped the ball against um, Toulouse, is it's like, that's a mistake. Like I know I won't make it again. People make mistakes all the time. And it's just making sure that, you know, those mistakes don't come, like if I get the ball knocked out of my hands again, like honestly, like I expect a contract to be ripped up and do you know what I mean booted out. I I don't I, I expect to be stoned to death if I drop the ball over the line again, right? To be honest with you. It was that bad of a snake, a mistake. But at the same time, like Zoe said, you've got to be kind to yourself. But it's making sure that you take a day off, two days off, a week off, whatever it is you need, but then it doesn't come to you become you falling into a trap of it being a month, two months a year and next thing you know you're at the bottom of a slope that you don't want to be at and the mountain to climb's a lot harder and I'm sure Zoe will 
back this up. There's times when you don't feel it. You don't feel like doing the session, but actually you get the session done and the accomplishment of just doing that, that session and getting through it is what then spikes you to go the next day and then get back on that roll. It only takes one little trigger to get you going again and you're back in the role of it. So it's just having that balance. You know, we all need to kick up the ass sometimes when someone says, hey, and that's one thing I've been lucky with with Robbo. You know, I, he's always given me straight up advice. Now, whether that was me as a youngster being like, calling him up after a game, buzzing, being like, man, I've had a great win. I'm going out for a few beers. It'll always be, mate, just make sure that you don't do anything stupid. And be like, But that's the little check you need. And this is where the foundation comes in. It's like, we want to be there for these kids and help them grow. But at the same time, we don't want to be their parents. But if they step out of line, we've got to be seen as someone who can just have that strong word and just guide them back in the right in the right direction. And that's, that's where we've all learned from and it will all change. But that's where I think now for me being 30, I can have that experience and hopefully just be able to guide these kids. And even in the short time at the art school, it was like you saw kids that were tearaways coming and the first 10 minutes you were struggling to get their attention. But you take one of them to one side and have a chat and just give them a little bit of, or her one-on-one feedback. Suddenly they're back in the game, they're involved, they're, and like the change you saw in some of these kids in the space of that term was unbelievable. And straight away, regardless of where this foundation goes. Yeah, Fred, you were, I mean, you know, it was great watching you with the kids. You were sort of a bit of a natural, but... Um, well, I'm a big kid, and I, really? That's the problem. I, I you, charge, you, yes, please. You definitely kind of warmed the rascals a little bit more. And, uh, oh, yeah, you know, 100%. You with, with, but, but, you know, you're right. And I mean, in that, in that term, you could really see... Um, you know, though the, the kids that were kind of really not feeling it at the beginning and, and kind of standing on the on the side and not wanting to get involved and, and also some that, that got involved but then got, you know, had some kind of emotional, um, you know, not, not quite breakdown, but, you know, there was often tears or fighting or whatever. And it was always seemed to be the same kind of group, sort of four or five kids. And, and those were really the ones that I think we want to be helping out. Um, and you know you could see over the course of the term they're the ones that really had the the, the foundation had the most impact on. Um, that, you know, I mean, there were some there that you know had no real use for Defy. They were absolutely flying fine. Um, but um, yeah, I think there were some that we could you know even in the, sh- the our short time that we were there, you could really see benefit from. And they're, they're the ones that whose eyes kind of lit up at the beginning of the sessions, and the teacher said we're really looking forward to you know, the next Wednesday, et cetera, et cetera. So um, it was, that was really rewarding, wasn't it? Can I just ask maybe one point there that Nick brought up, which was, and maybe the same to Zoe for when you've been able to interact, is that when it sounded like you were naturally gravitating towards the certain types of characters um, in the classroom, is that because that was the role that you played when you were younger? And then did you empathize with them or did you actually know actually the best types of the best types of tools or behaviors to get the best out of them as a result? I, I naturally gravitate to those because I think that like, like I'm a firm, I'm probably one of the most competitive people you ever meet, right? But at the same time, I can also have a laugh and I feel like sports sometimes is like you can't be seen to have a sort of laugh and a joke. It has to be, you make a mistake, you've got to be like kicking balls and lobbing, Whereas sometimes, like, made a mistake. Like, sometimes someone will get hit in the face with a ball in training, and it's hilarious. But you'll get, like, after squad won't even laugh. I'm on the floor. Like, that was just me. I, I like having, like, a laugh and a joke. And, you know, I, I know it's easy to want to go back to, but it's like the Toulouse drop ball. Like, I don't mind people taking the piss out of me for it. It's, I'm, like, I made a mistake. Like, it's fine. But in terms of those kids, I feel like they're the kids that people go, ah, oh, they've got no hope when actually they're the kids with a twinkle in their eye that have got something special. You know, I like the people that are outside the box. I like the people that are, you know, you get those, you get the sort of nodding dogs that can sit there both in all walks of life. We all know them, the ones that sit there and they're sort of teacher's pet and they're fine and they're great and they're happy sitting in their role and just ticking over day by day. But those kids that have got a little bit of rascal about them, they're the ones that are, they're the special ones to me. And I think they're the ones that if you can nurture them a little bit, 
can go a hell of a long way. But it's having that, giving them that purpose and that little bit of guidance. You know, because you know that there's certain people where they, you know, you give them simple instructions, they execute. And those people are great. You know, they're, they're fine. But I just gravitate to those people that they do need a little bit of, they, they've got a little bit about them, a little bit, little bit of backbone, a little bit of cheek. Because they're not, they're not lost causes. If anything, they're the ones that can blow up and really go and succeed and blow all expectations, which is what the foundation is all about. And I think that's the thing, isn't it? They're, they're the ones that are actually on a knife edge and they can go either way, depending on the environment and uh, their influences. You know, and I think that's what we're, we're trying to do. If, if they don't have the, the positive role models, we're trying to be that for them and allow them to you know, go up the right side of the knife edge, really. Um, and that's kind of our, our sort of our, our mantra a little bit is defying the odds, defying the stereotypes and defying the expectations. Because a bit like you said, Fred, you know, sometimes these kids are just seen, people give up on those kids pretty easily. And that just tends to compound their, their situation. Um, you know, but actually, um, you know, they, they, they've got a lot of potential in them. It's just that the, the, the environment that they live in isn't conducive to that revealing itself. Yeah, it's also, just to cut, cut in on that, it's like, you know, I had a great upbringing. I come from a close family. I had a great group of mates, stuff like that. Like, I still had a fight when I was 16 in town and a week later got arrested by the police and spent the day in a cell and had to go. And that scared the out of me because I, right then I was on the cusp of getting an academy contract at Bath or being part of the Bath Academy and suddenly just like that I'm sat in a cell because I've been you know regardless of the situation of how it occurred but then you know I was lucky it was just a fight and it, that was do you know what I mean and it was kind of like I was at that age where it was like a reprimand or whatever and just don't do it again whereas these kids nowadays especially with social media and all this sort of stuff you see like knife crime, you see, like, you know, it was very easy. Like, I, when I was six, between 16 and 18, I'd go out and have a few drinks with my mates and we'd end up getting in fights with people. Like, after the time I got my head kicked in. But it was like, that was, and it took me being arrested to realise that, hang on, like, life ain't a joke. You can't just get away with everything all the time. And it's just, you know, you've got to get to these kids before it starts because, you know, it only takes... You hear knife crime and stuff like that, but that's the influence that kids have now. And they're so easily influenced that one of them, if they're going out in London, it, I know we're working with 10, 11 year olds, but when they get to 13, 14, 15, and they start hanging around with their mates, they get into a bit of gang culture. They just take their kitchen knife, put it in their back pocket. They get into a bit of trouble just because of what they've seen and the environment they're in. You know, they could be staring at a, a jail sentence for, for like murder or do you know I mean? like grievous bodily harm or this sort of stuff. And, we want to stop it getting to that level because these kids can be a lot more if you just get to them early enough. Sorry, can I ask what sort of guidance have you sort of provided already or mentorship or just, just generally um, in terms of what you've, what you've seen or what you've um, had to do as part of your role already that you've either felt fulfilled by or just felt that you could give something back for? Oh, I must admit, I ha actually haven't had any uh, hands-on experience with the kids yet. Um, I'm pretty new to the team, really. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I must be honest, not a lot. But um, to be honest, the, ki the kind of kids that I am quite looking forward to, like getting involved with other ones that are more like me, I guess. Like, I suppose we all kind of like have a bit of a bias to people that we kind of tend to see a bit of ourselves in. Um, I was... like. Uh, I'm lucky that I had like a great support network growing up um, to bring out the best in me. But I was like, like I say, just a really shy kind of retiring wallflower type. Um, I would never put my hands up in class. I just, yeah, I, I, I just wanted to kind of like stand to the side and kind of just let stuff happen. And I'm still a little bit like that now, to be honest. <laughs> Even when, um, <laughs> when Nick asked me to do this podcast, I was a bit like, oh, does anyone really want to hear what I've got to say? Um, so yeah, really, I'm quite looking forward to working with the kids that kind of just don't want to put themselves forward and may end up missing out on opportunities just because they didn't have that confidence just to to speak out for themselves or um, 
yeah, ju just to put themselves into the spotlight. Uh, that's something that I've always really struggled with my whole life. Um, I still do struggle with it a bit now. Um, so I guess, yeah, if I can, if we can learn on the job together, that would be great. So if I can, I'll have to kind of find that within me in order to help these kids find it within themselves, I guess. Um, so it's a mutually beneficial partnership. I guess they'll be helping me every bit um, as much as I'll be helping them, if not more. Um, so that's kind of what I'm really quite excited about. Sorry, there, there was um, one girl there, I don't know if you remember, Fred, but um, in, in our pilot scheme last year, she um, was really, really quiet. Um, didn't put her hand up for anything, didn't really say anything. And uh, we, we allocated people into, we split, we had 60 kids, I think we split them into four groups of 15 and we would play games within that. And um, so we were playing, I think, tag rugby or, or, or tag bulldogs or something. And um, this girl suddenly from being, you know, the, the kind of quiet wallflower standing at the back um, was just the most natural athlete. And um, she was just absolutely carving through people. No one could touch her. And she just completely came into, you know, so into her own, into her element. Um, and just her whole personality changed, you know, a smile from ear to ear. And, um, you know, it, it's, it kind of reminded me a little bit of your, your personality, you know, just quite quiet, but then suddenly you go out to perform um, on the stage and you're just like, you, you turn into a completely different person. Um, it was, um, I think cool. part of it is just finding your niche in a way. Um, yeah. I, my mum always said this about me as well. Um, when I started weightlifting, like I did gymnastics before that, but it was never, I wasn't very good to be honest. Um, I never really liked the sort of showing off element of it either. It's just not me. Um, but then she was like, Oh, you did your first weightlifting competition and just totally came to life. Like it was like a different person. I've never seen so much confidence in you. Um, and I think that is part of it. I think it's just helping people find, like, just to have the confidence to try new things. Because I would have never have tried weightlifting if I just kind of wasn't, like, shoehorned into it, really. But it's kind of been the thing that's been the biggest um, personal developer for me. Um, but it's just something I'd have never have tried if I wasn't pushed into it. So I think um, just helping kids find a bit more confidence within themselves, just finding a little bit of... It, it, it will just help them kind of develop into like who they want to become really I think uh, and that's yeah that's a big thing for me. I think that's one thing as well that's great and Robbo you'll say from the the pilot scheme as well is that obviously it was very male dominated it was a lot of rugby rugby lads but to have Zoe on board to have Claire Cashmore um, on board is like someone for, for the girls to look up to and especially someone I know Zoe you're very humble but like silence isn't like weakness like being shy isn't weakness like zoe is you know funny a great person to be around and like unbelievable what she does and like girls will be able to look and say you know i'm quite happy being the loud one running around tagging and all that sort of stuff but it's it's in the quiet moments when you can get someone's personality in chat and i feel like the group that we've now got together at the foundation is just one that can bounce for all different people you know just it just shows we've got such a good group of of athletes and people that have been through it and done it in their own different way and I think the way Zoe goes about her business is class the way Claire goes about her business is class and these girls that we're going to go to as well because a lot of people talk about the boys running around in rugby values and all this stuff but the stuff the girls are going to bring to the foundation is going to be invaluable. I love that. I've just I've been fascinated just to hear the hear the um, conversation and all the different directions it's gone, which is awesome. And my my view, depending on Nick on what you think as well, is I'd love to like even make this a little bit of a regular thing. Is the truth like why couldn't we do this every few months and just like have a chat about new things that have gone on, experiences, or talk about particular subjects? I think which would be cool because ultimately, I think you know just the average sports person that might be listening to this or not you know, Zoe and Fred have spoken so articulately about what they do day to day that I'm sure those insights would be, it would be interesting for, for others as well. So maybe we can think about that. Um, I'm not sure it's going to be quite the, the lucrative um, TV revenue for you guys just yet, but hopefully, um, hopefully in time. Uh, I think it's a great idea because I think that, you know, 
there's a great message there. I mean, you see, you see Zoe, you know, um, breaking records. You see Freddie playing for England and, you know, playing in massive European games and playing, you know, now going to Japan and playing rugby across the world. But I think what we've seen, you know, this call, I mean, I, I've known that side of them for a long time anyway, but, you know, what you see there is really the vulnerability um, um, of someone which completely contrasts to the pedestal that, you know, perhaps we put some of these stars on. Um, so, you know, hopefully that's of use to just your, your everyday person as well to, to, who, who does suffer with um, self-doubt or, or anything like that, that actually even the very best um, have all those fears and, and all those apprehensions um, and, and have to kind of talk themselves around to overcoming them before, you know, performing their best. Yeah, exactly. And if we can end up on one question, I'm not sure if Nick gave you prior warning for guys, which was what well, the one thing I like to just ask everybody um, for the last question is, and because there's been, been a bit of downtime lately as well, and everybody's probably on Netflix or listening to a podcast or reading a book or doing their things more generally, has there been anything um, that you've either watched, listened to or read over the last few months that you've, that you've, that's really resonated, that you've enjoyed, that's been inspirational or that you've literally just binge watched because you've been bored as hell and have uh, wanted to pass some time? I don't know, Zoe, do you want to go first? <laughs> I'll go on then. Um, I'm a bit late to the fight with this one. It's not very, insp- well, it kind of is in a way. Um, it's not education or anything. Afterlife, watched it for the first time during lockdown. It's brilliant. Oh, yes. Yeah, absolutely loved it. Um, yeah, so unfortunately, I, I'm about to start reading a book called, um, I think it's like Women Don't Owe You Pretty by Florence Given, which is a bit more bit more on message, I suppose. But um, I've not actually started it yet. I was gifted it, gifted it by a friend who is um, a very staunch feminist. So I'm looking forward to reading that. But um, yeah, my, my thing of, the, of lockdown has been Afterlife. Love Afterlife. I've looked, the other thing that I've watched during Afterlife, sorry, because this isn't about me at all, but I'm just going to share as well, is um, uh, Fleabag that I watched um, a few months ago. Uh, it was crazy. That's one of the best things I think I've ever watched. I loved Fleabag. I watched, it. I watched it a little while ago, actually. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's fantastic. Completely agree. I advise, if you haven't watched it, watch it. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the bottom row of Fred and Nick and I'm not sure they watched it just yet. But yeah, maybe. I feel like... I haven't seen it, I must admit. Yeah. No, it's really, really good. Fred, is there anything that you've, um, you've come across lately that you've enjoyed? Um, I think probably the obvious one for most sports fans, and I'd be disappointed if anyone had watched it, was, was The Last Dance, I feel like. Um, and it's kind of... It's, it's kind of so on point about what we're chatting about here as well in terms of the different personalities and the different um, traits that everyone brought to that Chicago Bulls team. And the one thing that stood out for it more than anything was, um, who's the head coach? What's the head coach's name? Jack uh, Jackson? Phil Jackson. Phil Jackson. I was going to say Peter Jackson, but that's not, that's not right. Yeah, I was going to say Peter Jackson, but didn't he direct Lord of the Rings or something? I don't know. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, like just because of, like, obviously, all the personalities that were in that team from, you know, Michael Jordan to Scotty Pippen, to Dennis Rodman. Like, you've got every, like everything from one end of the spectrum to the other. Yet, the bit that stood out to me is you had one guy who understood every single one of them and what made him tick to get the best out of them. And that, for me, was, like, the best thing I've watched in a long time. And, uh, yeah, that... The only other thing I started doing is, obviously, I started reading a few Japanese books, trying to learn the language. Um, and the only thing, the only nugget I have done, which has really helped me the last sort of, I've only done it the last 10 days, and it's not really anything. I've actually started leaving my phone away from my bed at night because at the minute I'm a free spirit and I just, you know, I don't really have anything to do in the day as such. I was getting up, I was waking up with the alarm and then just snoozing it and staying in bed till 10, 11 o'clock and getting nothing out of my day. So I've started putting it away from the, away from the bed and it gets me up and out and I just feel so much better for it. So uh, that's my, my little nuggets there. I quite like that. I, I charge my phone downstairs. Uh, again, not this is about me, but um, it's quite nice because it means like the last hour or so of my day is has nothing to do with my phone. So I'm disconnected. And particularly in my industry, you know, that you're getting messages and things going on the whole time. 
Um, so it kind of clears your head and, and everything before bed. And then the first hour of the day, my kids wake me up at, you know, sadly, like five, five to six um, every day. But I actually get a good hour of playing with them um, before I even look at my first message, which there's, you know, quite a few by the time the mornings come around. Um, and it actually gives a really good work-life blend, I'd say, rather than balance. They tend to sort of merge into one. But um, just a really nice bit of space at the beginning of the end of the day away from the daily grind. Yeah, no, I really like that. Well, on that note, I think let's um, make a promise. I'm going to try and make a promise to Nick that we'll try and do this again sooner rather than later. That'd be amazing. Um, that's good. Ready? I'm going to try and introduce you at the right time through Nick. To a couple. I used to work in Japan quite a lot on a regular basis. So I've got um, some Japanese lawyer pals that are really good guys out um, in Japan. I'm going to try and introduce you to to show you around oh, maybe as well. Yeah, I'd really appreciate it. That'd be great. I need some, um, I'm going to need some yeah. friends, mate, going out there on my own. Exactly, exactly. Oh, konnichiwa! <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen. Mate, it's going to be fantastic. But yeah, uh, thank you so much um, for you guys for joining and Nick for organising it. And hopefully this can be the first of, um, of a few. Yeah, thanks for having us on, Dan. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for listening to the Sheridan Sport Backpage Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at Sheridan Sport and also subscribe to our Backpage blogs and previous podcast episodes. You can also share ideas and connect with us individually on Twitter and LinkedIn. Feel free to get in touch with one of the team. Andrew, Dan, Chris, Johnny, Alex, Sarah, Ryan and Elle. Finally, the Backpage podcast is powered by Milestone, a mental health charity aimed at tackling setbacks through sport and in turn helping to normalise the conversation around mental health. To learn more about Milestone and its aims, and how you can get involved, visit teammilestone.co.uk or check them out on Instagram at milestone.uk or Twitter at milestone underscore UK. Thanks for listening.